Wait, you literally think you're reliving the same day? Yep. And somebody kills you? Yep, again. All right, look. The way I see it is, is you have unlimited amount of lives, so you have unlimited opportunities to solve your own murder. So I'm just supposed to keep dying until I figure out who my killer is? Welcome to Now Playing's Happy Death Day retrospective series. You know what your little scenario reminds me? What? Groundhog Day. The movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Hosted by Brock. You're a feisty little shit, ain't you? Jacob. Are you high? On life. And Arnie. Naughty, naughty boy! This podcast will have detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Damn, this is crazy, man. Listener discretion is advised. All right, let's see what you got. Today we're talking about Happy Death Day, starring Jessica Roth, Israel Broussard, Ruby Modine, directed by Christopher Landon. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. Yo, Jacob, it's your birthday. We're going to podcast like it's your birthday. This is Arnie. And this is the co-host who gets a sense of deja vu at least 15 to 20 times a day. And I, I think we all know what that means. Yes, people are masturbating while thinking about me, Jacob. I don't know if it's just one person or multiple people. It's a lot, though. It's a chronic condition, whoever's doing it. <laughs> and I have to say, I've been going around singing 50 Cent for days looking okay, forward yes. to our happy death day review because my memory having seen this movie is her ringtone was 50 cent in the club the trailer lies and plays that and then they go to i don't know if you guys watched aqua teen hunger force but if you did do you remember mcp pants <laughs> it's a very high-pitched rapper and i swore that's who they were using for what this ringtone is in the movie yeah, I, they couldn't afford Into Club when they actually wanted it for the movie. They could only afford it for the trailer. So I decided I'd have to bring Into Club to the podcast, even if they couldn't <laughs> afford it for the movie. But yes, we are here discussing Groundhog's Day 2, Happy Death Day. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I will say that I did not see this in theaters. I waited till it was available for home viewing. But that hook is what at least got me curious about it. I'm like, oh, they're just doing Groundhog Day as a horror film? I'm kind of curious to see how this plays out. Arnie, you said you've seen this before you watched it for the podcast again? Yeah, I watched this. I didn't go to theaters. It's PG-13 horror, and the audience in my town for PG-13 horror is usually not conducive to movie viewing. Nothing against them. They're, I'm sure they're fine people when they're not on their cell phones, but if they're in the theaters, they are on their cell phones. But the moment it came to digital, I was anxious to see it. You know, it's a Blumhouse film, which I'm hit or miss on them, you know, the insidious films, but they're kind of the only name in horror these days. And I've seen decent reviews for this. It made a ton of money. This thing cost less than $5 million to make, made $125 million. Big hit. So yeah, the week it came out on digital, I had purchased it even before it was able to be rented and watched it. And when I heard there was a sequel, I'm like, you know... I think that will be more fun to do than more video game movies. Let's do Happy Death Day. So you're saying it made over $100 million, and I don't remember this movie coming out. I don't remember this movie existing. The first time I ever heard about this movie was when you sent me an email asking me to be on this retrospective series. You never saw the trailer? I don't remember seeing the trailers 
at all for this thing. Okay, maybe it's because of my love for Groundhog Day when I saw a film where I'm like, there's got to be a lawsuit, right? Like, this seems <laughs> like they're straight up ripping off that movie but putting a slasher in it. I'm like, it got me curious. I wanted to see how it would play out just because of the movie we reviewed last week. That's the exact same thing for me. There was another movie that came out just about the exact same time. It confused me. It was called Before I Fall. Another, like, horror-ish Groundhog Day movie. I was, I got them confused. I couldn't remember which one had Leah Thompson's daughter in it and which one didn't, but I ended up seeing both of them as soon as they were on video because of the concept. Here's the thing. I thought this movie was as old as, like, Terror Train. I had no idea it came out in 2017. <laughs> you thought this was an 80s slasher? Yeah, I'm like, I, I thought like April Fool's Day or something like that. You must be thinking about Happy Birthday to Me and Bloody Birthday that we already reviewed. I have to. I have to have been. But like, I just, it's amazing to me this came out in 2017 and I completely missed it. I usually, even if I don't see horror movies in the theater, unless I'm reviewing them for now playing, I know they exist. I see trailers. <laughs> this one completely, completely missed me. I couldn't believe it. And as I mentioned in our Groundhog Day review, it's the three of us here because this definitely has a bit in common with Final Destination. It's tongue-in-cheek humor. It's more funny kills. She's destined to die. Death has a plan and the fake outs. It felt right that the three of us reunite for Happy Death Day before the Final Destination reboot next year. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to be here with both of you talking about this sort of movie. It's always fun to talk horror movies with you guys, especially ones with a, a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, ones that have a little bit of fun with themselves. But you hadn't heard of this film. Obviously, you guys know Blumhouse, the paranormal activity, insidious franchise, and that's where this director comes from. Christopher Landon was a writer on Paranormal Activity 2, 3, 4, and he's the son of Michael Landon. Oh, the Little House on the Prairie guy? Yeah. Highway, Highway to, to Heaven. Heaven. Yeah, okay. And then this is written by Scott Lobdell, and he's somebody I also know. Comic book guy. Yeah, yeah. I've read his Marvel stuff. He did Uncanny X-Men. I've read his DC stuff. <laughs> yeah, he was a 90s comic writer that I've read and X-Factor, some of those. And so the talent behind the camera, I didn't know him from movies all that much. But as far as his comic stuff goes, I enjoyed him as a writer. So I thought this might have more going for it than the usual PG-13 slasher. You keep saying PG-13 slasher as if it's a bad thing. Have you not listened to these podcasts, Brock? He hates them. I understand you've talked on many hours on this show telling us why PG-13 slashers are not worth your particular time, but after watching so many of these, don't you see some merit in the genre? At all. I mean, this movie would have been a whole different thing and maybe not as much fun to watch had it been tons of gore and blood and stuff like that. Wouldn't it have taken a little bit of the fun out of this particular concept had it been a hard R? Would you agree with that? Because PG-13 seems to be the right rating for this kind of movie. I don't think it would take any of the fun out, but I also don't think it was needed for the fun. I am, you know, we have three views from now playing. I'm the fan of Happy Death Day. There's not going to be too much mystery in what recommend I'm giving at the end of this show because I'm the one championing it. Jacob, you're 
the kind of casual you saw it once before. Brock, you're a complete newbie. You thought we were going old school to the VHS. So as the fan of this, I obviously don't feel it needed an R rating. But that said, I don't think it would have been hurt by one. This is the thing is often when I look at PG-13 horror, I classify that because it is a studio mandate. You're going to make this PG-13 so that we can bring more people in. It's a commercial choice, not an artistic choice. If you make a film and you make it the way you want it and it happens to be PG-13, good for you. But if you're making a horror film... A lot of times they're very neutered at PG-13. Here, last week, I said, you know, you guys called Groundhog Day a comedy. I'm like, well, it's got some humorous moments, but is it a comedy? Here, is this even a horror film? Is this a slasher film? Or is this a comedy? I laugh a lot. I definitely called it a slasher movie. My daughter asked me what the movie was about because she saw the DVD cover here at the house. And I was like, this is a a slasher movie. And I described what the difference between a slasher movie and a horror movie was. And and I went on to describe suspense, horror, and different genres of horror uh, to her. And then she rolled her eyes and left the room. So, yes, I described this as a slasher movie. To me, this is a slasher movie for sure. I would not classify this as a comedy, although it does not take itself too seriously. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Brock. There are moments I chuckle or I recognize our attempts at comedy, but we're here because it's a slasher. There's the blood. You know, it's Blumhouse. That's why they're putting it out, and I don't think they're getting into comedies. Well, I mean, they did distribute Whiplash. Not a comedy. That's a drama, a hard drama. But I see your point. Yeah, I guess they don't just do horror. In that movie, if you've seen Whiplash, it is kind of scary. It is scary. That is true. You have a point there. It is It is a <laughs> scary film. But I'm just saying they don't always just do horror. I mean, Gem and the Holograms was horrifying, but it's not a horror film. That's a Blumhouse film? Yeah. Wow. No kidding. I didn't know that. They also released Benji. Benji? Is there a new one or is Blumhouse really old? It was released in 2018. (laughs) What? But yeah, Blumhouse is mostly a horror house. I cannot think of any straight up comedies from them, but that doesn't mean they don't have humor in their movies, which I think is a strong piece of this one. Now, this film, I gotta say, there's a very good chance we wouldn't have reviewed it. It was first announced... A decade before it came out, it was going to be produced by Michael Bay. (laughs) Oh. Yes, I read this starring Megan Fox when they still work together. And directed by a Finnish music video director. (laughs) That sounds wonderfully bad. If we were covering it, it would probably be as an Easter egg to rip apart if we did that movie. Christopher Landon was brought in to rewrite Lobdell's screenplay, and it took 10 years to finally get done. It was originally called Half to Death. And because of the Paranormal Activity sequels, Universal and Blumhouse decided, all right, let's do Happy Death Day. And did it always have the, I'll just say, rip off Groundhog Day? Was that always the conceit of it? As far as I know, yeah. They didn't have much in the way of bonus features. There was no commentary. You know, the home video market's dying, so they just don't put that stuff in. But what Lobdell said was he wanted the final girl and the bitchy girl to be the same girl in a horror movie. And how do you make that happen? And so in the original draft, there was Laurie and Dr. Butler were killers together, and it ended up becoming more of a whodunit instead of a known killer. But 
I think it has always been Groundhog's Day with death. Before we talk any more about the movie, how about a plot summary? Jessica Roth plays Teresa Gelbman, tree to her friends. She lives the stereotypical drunken sorority girl life, but she wakes up the morning of her birthday in a strange dorm room. She blacked out drunk the night before, but student Carter Davis, played by Israel Broussard, took her to his room to sleep it off. She goes through the day getting a birthday cupcake from roommate Lori, played by Ruby Modine, getting catty with lead sorority sister Danielle, and secretly sleeping with one of her instructors, Dr. Gregory Butler, who happens to be married. But that night while walking to a party, she encounters a creepy person wearing a mask of their school mascot, a strange baby face. So yes, in all my notes, I referred to this killer as Ken Edmonds. The masked person chases her down and kills her, but she wakes up to relive that same day. That night, she takes a different route to the party, but at the party, the masked person shows up and kills her. This happens a few more times, so one of the days, she tries to convince Carter she is living in a time loop. He suggests she use her time to find out who the killer is. So she finds out it's not Tim, a guy she dated once, nor Danielle, and she finally decides her killer is serial killer John Toombs, who'd just been shot and captured by police and was in the hospital. So, one of those days, she tries to stop Toombs and ends up killing him. She thinks she's finally going to live through the day, and that night she and Carter share her birthday cupcake and victory. But she wakes up the next morning again in Carter's bed. It's still her birthday, the loop repeated. And she realizes she died eating a poison cupcake that was given to her by her roommate Lori. See, Lori was jealous of Tree's relationship with Dr. Butler, as Lori wanted Dr. Butler to herself. So Lori and Tree get in a fight, and Tree ends up pushing Lori out the second story window to her death. That night, she and Carter have a date, and then she wakes up in the morning, and it's a new day. The camera zooms in on a bumper sticker saying it's the first day of the rest of her life, and credits roll. And to start off, I always love it when movies play with the opening movie logo. And here we get the Universal Pictures logo, and then it stops and starts over again. You know what movie you're in. Yeah, I wasn't even really paying attention because it's logos, but you get that sound effect. And I looked up, I'm like, what's going on? I think the most clever part of the film is what they do with the Universal <laughs> logo. Showing a bit of your hand. Universal does this a lot with their movies. The Minions one, they did the Minions thing. It's great. But unlike Groundhog Day, this movie starts us in what you would call, what, birthday prime, Jacob? <laughs> sure, we'll call it birthday prime. We don't know anything about Tree. She's just waking up, blacked out in some dorm room. So I'm watching the movie, and she says, am I in a dorm room? And she's walking on campus. She looks bewildered. And I'm thinking, and I swear to God, I'm thinking, okay, so she must be a reporter. Maybe she's a professor at this school or something <laughs> like that because she woke up at a, at a dorm room, whatever. And then her boyfriend comes out of nowhere. I'm like, how the hell did her boyfriend know she was going to be on this campus this morning? It doesn't make any sense. And then she walks into the sorority house, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Because I have in my notes, she must, she's like a 30-year-old woman in a dorm room. And, <laughs> and, and she's playing a sorority girl. I looked it up. The actress is now 30. She does not look like a co-ed by no stretch of the imagination. Brock, this is one of those films, and this is a whole genre for me. After having gone to college, there are certain movies I watch. I'm like, this writer never went to college. Like, there are so many cliches in <laughs> cinematic history. I think it's all because of Animal House. No one went to college that wrote that film. Like, I don't know. Maybe my college experience was different. I'm thinking... Okay, this must be like a Sunday or something. She's partying all night. Saturday, she's blackout drunk. No, it's 
the school week and you got the frat boys doing their pledges just out on the lawn as she's doing her walk of shame. She has class that day. So I don't know. Maybe there are college students that just party this hard every night. There really are. I was at a campus that was a party school, not the party school. My wife went to the party school, but I went to a party school, hence my degree in communications. And <laughs> I did work harder when I got my master's, but I went to a party school where we actually had a fraternity shut down after numerous cases of alcohol poisoning. They didn't wait for the weekend for that alcohol poisoning. These were fraternities that had porn and beer Thursdays. Yeah, I was going to say Thursday night was a huge night for my college. So Thursday night, it would make sense. Yeah, because you took Monday and Wednesday classes or Tuesday and Thursday classes. No one took classes where you had to go on Friday. But Arnie, back to my point, though, the kid in the dorm room, he's probably in his early 20s. I didn't have to look that up. He looked enough like a college kid that you believed he was a college kid. Yeah, he was 23 when this was made. There you go. And she was very close to 30. And she's not a young looking 30. I think she's probably a smoker. I hate to judge like that, but I can't do anything else to figure out why she looks like the parent visiting the dorms. Yes. I agree completely. And what's funny is, who is she? Who is Jessica Rose? Who's anyone in this film? I looked her up. I'm like, have I seen her in anything? She was Alexis in La La Land. That's the only thing I've seen her in. She's got a lot of credits, and I couldn't tell you who Alexis was in La La Land. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, when she's doing this walk of shame across the quad, admittedly, this is stereotype after stereotype. The pledges passing out, not from drinking, and the Save the Earth Girl. I haven't seen a college campus this broadly drawn since PCU. They are doing the same thing they did in Groundhog Day here, where they're going to, okay, here's that establishing walk. We're going to set up all these little characters so you can watch Tree's progression as a human being as we go through the film. Wow, I'm shocked that the plagiarism going on here. And she even has her own needle-nosed Ned in the form yes. of Tim, <laughs> this guy who took her on a date to Subway, and she gets the dig in. I don't know why you took me to Subway. It's not like you have a foot long and keeps on going, but that's the needle-nose. It's not Groundhog Day, but it certainly follows the formula to a T. This day prime, just like we did in Groundhog Day, we're being introduced to all the people we're going to see do again and again. But the difference is now they're going to be murder suspects. This is a whodunit. So when she wakes up in Carter's dorm room, was that a date rape situation? Did he take advantage of the drunk girl? She is in his bed. I pretty quickly get that he was a pure person, though, because when she's changing shirts, he turns around nervously. He does not look. So I think he's telegraphing. Yeah, no, the scandalous one is his roommate. who's always asking about her fine vagina. You know, I didn't get he was the roommate until like 70 minutes into the movie. I didn't re I didn't get it. The movie's like, only about 70 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, he, he walks in at the end, finally, I'm like, oh, he's the roommate who with the other bed. Because I was like, why is his friend coming over in the morning? They didn't make it clear that he was the roommate until very late in the movie. Not that it matters, because, you know, he's just there for that laugh line, quote unquote, and he keeps saying it over and over again as the days progress. I actually think he is funny, not in his fine vagina line, but. What, other, what else does he say in this? <laughs> the things as Tree goes through the days, her response responses to him are funny like when she spanks him 
when she tells him he's going to have a long relationship with his hand if he doesn't learn to talk about women differently. But yeah, we got Tim. We've got Danielle, like the frenemy at the frat who is the brunette to Trees Blonde. Yeah, I was writing down, okay, who are all the suspects based on this opening scene? And yeah, Danielle, there's a Asian sorority sister who's like, all Tree has to do is smile at her and she won't even do that. I'm like, maybe she's going to try to get revenge because she's always shunning her. But then Lori shows up and I don't know. I'm like, oh, okay, this is who it is. Really? You knew right away. She just gets the longest scene and there's just so many little things set up with the cupcake and she throws it away. I'm like, ooh, she's throwing away this gift that she made. Made from scratch a cupcake, a single cupcake, which is crazy. Like you would never make from scratch a single cupcake. Okay, that's logically correct, Jacob, but that's the, <laughs> that's uh, that's not what tipped me off. That she that, was that's psychopathic tendencies if you make from scratch a single cupcake. Maybe she ate the other 11 because she was that nervous. They're not allowed to even eat carbs in the sorority house. I don't know why she made a cupcake. Maybe that's why she made one, because she had to hide it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you want to get into it, I did not get tipped off it was Lori that early but bravo that's good for you man yeah i mean it's kind of like a Shyamalan thing some people will get it some people won't i overlooked lori i shouldn't have once i started looking at it for now playing she's matthew modine's daughter she's third build the third build person is almost always the killer i mean it's just (laughs) how it goes it's either your top build person or your third build person is your bad guy and she is third build after tree and carter but I didn't pay any attention to this college student sorority girl who's actually a working nurse, too. Yeah, she is wearing scrubs. And What does her being Matthew Momin's daughter have towards her motive? I don't understand how that... No, she, she has a greater level of fame than, say, Faivu. Agreed. But is Ruby Modine made a name for herself or she just has her dad's last name? Well, she has her dad's last... When I, heard, when I saw her name was Ruby Modine, I assumed... And then validated that it was correctly that she was Matthew Modine's daughter. Okay. And she's worked in a couple of things I've never heard of before. She was somebody in somebody. I kid you not. (laughs) But... (laughs) Was that a name of a movie and the name of the role in the movie? Yes, it was. Okay. <laughs> Is my father all of a sudden on the podcast trying to remember the name of a movie and an actor's name? Because I'm like, that's that some guy in that, that movie thing. Um, anyway. <laughs> what? Um, anyway. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm just giving you a bit of a hard time because it seemed like a funny reason for her to be the murderer. But, yeah, third bill thing, that makes more sense. I did overlook her myself because I thought she was just there for exposition and setting stages. I didn't realize that they were setting so much up with her, especially because she's later on like in the next scene or two when they're at the hospital we see her again i thought that was a link but that should have given it away more than anything else was that she comes up at the hospital later on so yeah Uh, good for you jacob again Um, but i think that the actress give her credit she was able to deflect enough for me and arnie not to figure it out right away I mean, there are other suspects. We'll see this professor who's also a doctor. Are are they at a medical school? Like, why is everyone in the medical profession? But he might be a suspect. We'll find they're having an affair and he has a wife and another suspect. There are a lot of suspects in this film. I actually thought, and I said to myself, I really hope they don't go with the scorned wife on this one. Because I thought it was definitely going to be the wife of the teacher. For about maybe the as soon as she was introduced till about halfway through the movie, I thought it was going to be her. She's a very valid suspect. I mean, this doctor Gregory Butler has kind of what a Indiana Jones thing going on where all the co-eds lust after him, but Tree is the one who got in his pants, and so 
the question is at this point, do you like Tree? Do you like our protagonist? Or is she just too mean to everyone and having an affair with a married doctor? I mean, she's supposed to be a jerk at the beginning. That is the Groundhog Day formula that they are copying here. It's probably because of this actress. I just, I'm not going with it as much. Bill Murray, established actor, one I have a lot of respect for, good actor. He's able to pull off that condescending jerk, having a darker side. This actress, I mean, there are a few lines where I, I think she does ad-lib, maybe, but I'm like, oh, I really like that line delivery. But for the most part, it just feels like I've never seen Mean Girls, but I... This is what how it plays out in my imagination, like making fun of a girl with chocolate milk and all that kind of stuff. It is kind of Mean Girls. I've seen it, yeah. It is kind of Mean Girls, Jacob, but the key there is Rachel McAdams is a lot of fun to watch being this kind of person. And this woman is not as much fun to watch in this kind of character. Is that because of the writing? Is it because of this actress? Because that is my feeling. Like, if I had to guess, I'm like, oh, Mean Girls is probably better and probably a little wittier. This seems like a copy of a copy. Rachel McAdams brings a lot to that role, and the other two who are her minions aren't as strong, but they have their own characters, and they're really funny in their own way. But Rachel McAdams really solidifies this kind of character in that movie and brings it to a level that a lot of other actors probably couldn't. I don't dislike what this woman's doing here. Jessica Roth is doing an okay job. The problem is you have to like her more to want to go on this journey with her, and while she's playing the part like it's written, I think perhaps a different actress could have brought a little more life to it to actually get us to like her more in this state. She's very unlikable at this first part, but Jacob, don't forget, this is a slasher movie. She's establishing a lot of tropes that usually would get someone killed in a horror movie, right? So that's the thing, is you have to be this kind of person to kill her in a horror movie, right? I understand that. You have to set up a reason why she would be, you know, the first one to go, because she is this jerk, she's slutty, whatever. I read, they're like, oh yeah, we wanted to have a real scream vibe to this, and they gotta do another pass at this script if they want this to be a self-referential, knowing, winking, slasher film like that. It, they got the Groundhog Day side right. But I could see that attempt where, oh, it's the first kill, but she's also going to be the last girl. But I just don't feel like they really play up to those tropes enough. Interesting. I think that they do a decent job of the horror when she's walking to the party at the end of day prime and she's alone and she's on the quad. She sees all the people walk past and one stays behind. And you know what? The baby face mask, I thought it wouldn't work for me. I thought it would be like that... I hate that movie Valentine where the Cupid mask killer, I thought it would be like that. But there's something about that one tooth and that Hamburglar smile that's creepy as hell. You call it baby face. I don't know if this mask has a name. I kept calling it big baby in my notes. <laughs> but I'm like, that's their mascot. Mascots are supposed to be scary. Tigers or pirates. I had to look this up. Does any sports team have a baby for a mascot? There is one, apparently. The <laughs> New Orleans Pelicans. A pelican is not their mascot because it's New Orleans. They have king cake baby. It's very oh. creepy. There you <laughs> it go. looks very much like this. For me, this mask, it's just a little too contrived. They spent just a little bit too much time. I think about like Michael Myers or Jason, just a hockey mask or a William Shatner mask repainted white. And there's something creepy about how simple those kind of things are. This, it's like, oh, okay, we're going to come up with a baby. And like, let's really think about how this will be scary. They did dirty the face up a little bit. Like, if it was like clean and pristine, like a doll's face, 
I don't think I would be as impressed by it. But I do agree with Arnie. I think, you know, baby dolls can be creepy. So having it dirty on top of that, it's creepy. Isn't it kind of like clowns, though? Like, we'll talk about it later this year, but... You don't have to really try that hard to make a clown creepy. It's just they're kind of naturally creepy. So are babies. Like, people, I know you love your babies when they're brand new and they're the most beautiful thing. Objective view, babies are kind of creepy looking when they're brand new. I'm sorry. I'm just going to put it out there. My hot take of 2019. Newborn babies are creepy looking. (laughs) Especially when they're bloody and covered in placenta fluid. Even after that, when they clean them up, man, they're still, they they got this fur on them and oof. Oh, God. (laughs) You've you've seen newborn babies, haven't you, Brock? (laughs) I was going to say something similar but different in that... You were going to make fun of all newborn babies? Babies can be creepy, especially when they're holding a giant knife and trying to kill you. I mean, that's what I was going to say. I wasn't (laughs) going to go with fuzzy placenta baby, but sure, (laughs) yes. Yeah, here we get the slasher tropes, though. He pulls the knife, and I'm going to say he, because the reason I didn't think it was any of the sorority sisters is... It's a man in that outfit. This is obviously a stunt man, right? Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> I mean, the broad shoulders, the flat chest, the overall build. The way he moves, like, throughout the movie, he's... Look, they're very athletic women out there for sure. And to the credit of the movie, Ruby Modine is tall, right? And she's wearing the scrub, so you really can't see the figure she actually has, right? Very much in the movie. Yeah, and the baby face has got a hoodie on. It's baggy. You can't see the figure. But Arnie's right. The way the guy moves looks like a guy. And we talked about this in the Prom Night horror movie with Jamie Lee Curtis, that the way that murderer moved, you could tell it was a guy right? But here, it looks like a guy and it turns out to be a woman. It's kind of a misdirect. And I would have liked later on, we never get the scene I want, which is Babyface is coming after her and she finally moves the mask off and we see who's underneath. The fact that we never see this mask and Lori in the same place just brings a disconnect to me that Lori is this person running around stabbing her. Lori sets up Tombs, the serial killer at the hospital. She gives him an outfit too, so he could put it on and run around and be the suspect instead of her. But this is her in the outfit going to kill Tree. And she won't take off the mask, I guess, in case there's witnesses, I guess? It's silly. This happens in all slashers, but like imagining the planning to go figure out what course tree is going to take to get to this party get a music box that plays happy birthday set it there somehow have it stop playing the music start playing it it's again it's a conceit that a lot of slashers have that these mindless killers go through some crazy planning but it's just kind of funny when you try to think this through logically and if you think it through logically this was all plan b plan a was she'll eat the cupcake eat the cupcake (laughs) yes Yeah. Was she like, okay, now we're capping bitches. We don't like carbs, so she might not eat it. So I got to have a plan B. Or did she come up with plan B that day when she threw the cupcake away? Oh, we're really lucky. We happened to catch a serial killer at the hospital. (laughs) Yes. But day one, she does get stabbed by this knife. And we repeat day two with that not 50 cent song. Hey, it's your birthday. 
Somebody needs a really cheap song. You know what? I missed it the first time I watched this originally. And I'm like, why does she have that song as her? Is that always the ringtone? Like her default ringtone? I wondered that too. I mean, if it was 50 Cent, I could believe that that is your ringtone every day. But if it's this thing, you'd only have it on your birthday, right? Yeah, and she doesn't seem to be into her birthday because we'll find out her mom had the same birthday and her mom died three years ago, so she gets all sad during her birthday. There is a line between her and Lori where she's like, did you switch my ringtone? And Lori's like, no, and then they just go on. Like, they never answer the question, but apparently someone did this to her phone, maybe when she was blackout drunk. A mystery that will never be solved. So I gotta tell you, I thought about that. And I came to the conclusion she keeps it the birthday song because her mom died on her birthday and she shared the same birthday, blah, blah, blah. That's a weird song to remember your mom by. (laughs) I'm not saying it's a good reason, but that's the reason I came up with as why they would possibly do that. I want to give the movie a compliment. They started over on cycle two, 14 minutes in. Yep. Good for them. Because this is the conceit of the movie. They didn't waste a lot of time setting us up with boring 14 minutes, not 20. Right? Not even 15, 14. Good for them. They cut to the chase and got right down to it. And I was very happy they did that because it was able to get me back into this movie. Because at this point, I'm already getting a little like, okay, whatever. And then finally, it starts up again. So good for them. I mean, I, I was thinking about this when we were talking about Groundhog's Day last week and wondering, you know, they took a little more time in Groundhog Day, right? But it's similar. They get right to it. Yeah, they take about five more minutes, but it's very quick. And most of the five or ten minutes was probably the stuff they filmed after the fact. I wonder if the test screening of Groundhog Day was much closer to this, where we basically started on day one. And yeah, here, I think it's very similar. I think they spend almost the same amount of time on Phil's first day as they do on Tree's first day. But they're following that pattern, and then instead of, I got you, babe, it's, hey, it's your birthday, and instead of the B&B, you're there in Carter's room and have to do that walk of shame again and again, which could just be the horror movie itself is the endless walk of shame back to the Kappa house from a freshman dorm. And did you notice when she talks to Lori this time, like she throws the cupcake away. Sometimes she'll set it down. Like if you pay attention, that cupcake, a lot of foreshadowing happens with it. It's a very pretty cupcake. I'll give it that with the silver <laughs> frosting and everything. It does not look homemade. It does look like it came from like the Walmart bakery. <laughs> I, I have a question. I mean, there's a scene where all the Kappa girls are having this meeting and they're making fun of Becky for having chocolate milk and stuff gets spilled. Carter shows up. He has this bracelet. Is that just so he could run into Tree again? Or it, does that bracelet play some part into something I just missed? It seems like they make a big deal out of it. It's her bracelet. They're using it for the conceit, but I was hoping it would tie into her mom or something. Like, yeah, I I was waiting for that, and I didn't see it. No, it appears to just be a reason for him to show up at lunch and spill food. You know, in a real college setting, that might have been her bra, right? But since they didn't sleep together, it's a bracelet. And in a real college setting, he probably wouldn't have carried the bra across the quad. Oh, good point. Yeah, all right. <laughs> but yes, we do have this sorority meeting, which appears to be the most useless of scenes. This scene... <laughs> adds nothing <laughs> they repeat it they we come back to the sorority meeting like three times but it doesn't really further the horror story or tree's story very much later on it does though because she takes a stand true true but day two is perhaps my favorite day because she gets to the party it's a surprise birthday party for her 
Danielle's boyfriend, Nick, surprises her by wearing baby face mask and gets punched in the face. And I think that's like my favorite moment is Danielle, don't mess with a Kappa bitch. See, I thought she was going to punch the guy, the boyfriend, the one night boyfriend subway guy in the face like Ned Ryerson eventually. But instead, they use the punch in the face here. And good for Tree. Another compliment on any of this movie. Tree fights back with Babyface. In every situation she meets him, in every single cycle, she hits him. She punches him. Good for her for fighting back. A lot of these slasher movies, the girls don't do that. The boys don't do that. Good for her. And here, there's a clue I would have never catched on my first viewing. Is there is a discussion between Danielle and Tree about how Lori's supposed to be at the party and isn't and is working a double shift. If I could have kept track of everybody's name and I realized who Lori was, I might have taken that as this is obviously dialogue pointing at the killer. And I think this scene may be my favorite kill when she goes to this room with Nick. Is she going to sleep with Nick? Is she going to sleep with her friend's boyfriend? Yeah. Yeah, because we're told, Tree, she made out with some guy at that blackout drunk party the night before that Danielle was into. So why not? She doesn't seem to have those boundaries. I think it was the same guy, actually. I think this is who she made out with. Oh, okay. It, it might be. Looking at this as a horror film, it's funny when Nick, he puts on the strobe lights and then you have baby face creep out from behind him and kill him and then stabs Tree with a broken bong. He like does that thing you do with a bottle where you smash to get those jagged edges and, and kills her with a bong. Probably a better bong death than anything in those evil bong movies. I haven't seen them, but <laughs> I can't imagine they're good. <laughs> I've seen the first one and this is better. And yeah, I love the bong death. And again, he has to go to the bong because Tree tree is fighting back and this is where the horror comes from this horror film has a body count of one there's only one target here and so if you're going to have horror it can't be the quick kill she needs to fight back in order for there to be the suspense of will she get away every time and here she gives a good fight back and it is kind of funny where the one frat guy comes in and Tree's screaming for help and he just thinks they're, I don't know, having non-consensual sex or something and smiles and walks out. That's, that's perhaps the freakiest moment of the film. But she gets stabbed and we're on to day three. This is where we start getting emotional. This is where she goes and has the talk with Lori about her mom and dad and her mom died and all of that. We start to learn more about her and we get the first mention of John Toombs, the serial killer. Yeah, there's the news going on and she's boarding up her bedroom. Very Final Destination, right? The first Final Destination where he wouldn't leave his house and tried to stay in a padded room to be completely safe from all of death. And here she thinks she's safe if she just stays in her dorm. The John Toombs thing reeked of red herring the entire time. I didn't like this inclusion at all. I don't know who watching this movie, clearly not Jacob, but other people watching this movie, I can't imagine would be fooled by the John Toombs misdirect. It seemed like an unnecessary addition to this movie. I will say by the end, they kind of fooled me because they're going to be a big old long action sequence with John Toombs. I'm like, oh, they're really just going to do that? I thought it was going to be the roommate the whole time. They did trick me just because they play it out so long by the end. I guess. It's still unsatisfying, Jacob. It's Oh, it's, I, I agree. It seems like an <laughs> entire tangent 
where I knew from the get-go it wasn't him. There's no way it's him. He's so disconnected from her, and there's no way she could know it's her birthday. And the thing that gives it away is that little music box in the first time is a music box playing happy birthday, for goodness sake. Clearly, the killer had to know her, and there's no way this guy could have known her. It's a complete red herring that has no basis of anything. This film is full of that. At one point, she's going to find a birthday card that's going to have the baby face mascot inside of it, a picture of baby face in there. And, oh, it's in that room she shares with Lori. But we'll find out later that it was Danielle who was going to give her the card. She's the one carrying it and not Tombs. Is that what that was? I was so confused. We'll get to the montage, but I was really confused by the Danielle fight. Yeah, it's because she saw that card there. Huh, I missed the card stuff on day three. Two viewings, and I didn't catch that. I missed it, too. It was the reason the catalyst for the fight. But yeah, Babyface breaks in and kills her, and this is where she goes on the offensive. She talks to Carter, who she convinces, much like Phil convinced Rita, I'm in a time loop, and he says, well, you need to use these days to figure out who's killing you. So we get Demi Lovato's song Confident, which I'm going to say is a really, really good song. I like that song a lot, as she figures out who all the killers aren't. It's not Tim. He's watching gay porn. I do like, though, she finds out Tim's secret and then turns around and baby faces there and just, like, stabs her. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, all of this is where the humor's coming into me. Is For Stephanie, the next night, she's, like, in full camo makeup with night vision goggles. Is Stephanie, is that Gregory's wife? It is. I had to look that okay. up after the fact because she has a list of possible suspects. Yeah. And it has Stephanie on it. I'm like, is that a sorority sister? Who's Stephanie? I didn't catch that was the doctor's wife. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then the next day, it's Danielle, and they're fighting over that car. I like that. Babyface doesn't even have to kill her this time. They fall into the street. They get hit by a bus. See, this is what I didn't get. I saw something fell out of Danielle's book. Tree says, I knew it was you, and attacks her, and they're both hit by a bus. And then the next day, it's like Danielle's no longer a suspect again. So I actually rewatched that scene three times and figured out it was a card. I didn't realize we'd seen that card earlier, but it makes no sense that Tree doesn't go the next day still thinking Danielle's the killer if she thought that here. Yeah, because she didn't get killed by Babyface, she got killed by the truck. Right. So I would have think she'd go the next day and immediately just go after Danielle, and instead she's gonna dye her hair and walk naked through the quad? Why does she do that? Are they just trying for, to be Groundhog Day so much? Yes, this is riding the rails in the car. It, again, the beat are there yeah there's kills because this is a horror slasher film but they are playing those same comedic beats this doesn't make sense to me it's not like tree has been this shy person who is so demure i don't get what confidence comes from walking the quad naked and it's a pg-13 naked so we get a shot of the back and i mean literally her back and not even the butt yeah just her back yeah not her lower back just the back beyond that though it doesn't feel earned i think what's really worse about it is there's no payoff it doesn't make sense that it happens but this movie did not earn that moment at all. They just had it. That's what I'm saying when I said she doesn't seem like she's lacking confidence. What is this telling me about her? 
It just seems like she knows there's no consequences so she can do something like that. And that's what I got from it. But again, the movie didn't set anything up prior to that to let her have that moment. Yeah, I never expected this to have the emotional depths of Groundhog Day. I get glimpses of it. I'm like, oh, this could have just been a funny, tongue-in-cheek slasher film. And it has those moments, but it just doesn't quite reach it for me. And this scene is, is a perfect example. It's like, yeah, why are you naked at this point? Like, didn't seem like you had a problem showing your body. You had your tight pants and shirt and all that. And I'm not criticizing her for that. No. I'm just saying it didn't seem like an issue early on. And now she's like walking around out and proud. Yeah, exactly. And I don't see what this has to do with catching the killer. And that seems to be her only issue. I mean, she's got mommy issues and she's a bitch, but... She's not working on those. She's working on finding the killer. So I don't get why we see her dyeing her hair and never see her with the dyed hair because I guess the next day came too soon and we see her walking naked in the quad and I don't understand why that is. And then we finally get to the next suspect, Becky. Becky was never a suspect, was she? Like, I don't feel like she should have been a suspect at least. Danielle's the one who attacks Becky, not Tree. Yeah, and Tree kind of stands up for Becky a little bit. So I wouldn't see Becky as a suspect other than it's a sorority sister whose name we've heard in this movie. But this gets the baseball bat death, which is kind of another fun one, the way it kind of slow-mos and we get a close-up of Tree's face as she's falling over and she falls into Carter's bed. This is my second favorite death besides the bong one. I thought the camera work on that was a lot of fun. And I agree. Again, it's these little moments. I just wish I was feeling this for more of the film. It's like, oh, we need to kill more people because you guys are good at doing that. It's just the rest isn't working quite for me. It's not bad. It's just kind of silly, but not in the way where I feel like it's winking with me that it's in on the joke. So here is where also the movie starts to get a little clever for me as well. It's around this time where we learn that her body actually, like when she wakes up the next day, she feels how she died the previous day. Her body becomes a bunch of scar tissue and she eventually will die from all of these deaths over and over again. And so she has a limited time, which is kind of a cool conceit. It's only in here, right? Because they got to do something to make this feel dangerous. Because she could just go on for 10,000 days to try to find the killer. They got to do something to give it expediency. And she doesn't have to have a perfect day like Phil, right? She just needs to live. She just needs to not get killed or eat the cupcake. So they got to do something to make her want to find this killer in, in, in a short time period. Because it's easy to get out of this scenario. But I don't think this carries the weight with it. I did watch one of the few featurettes and Landon was on there saying that she's supposed to be getting weaker. Every day she's getting weaker. I don't see that. I could No. Yeah. If this was a video game and as your deaths increased, your punchability decreased, that would have an effect. And here, I don't see her getting stronger, and I don't see this discussion as having a weight where now she's trying harder not to die. She's going to commit suicide a little bit later, for a reason we'll talk about. So she's not really worried about these permanent injuries. And that's where I have a problem with this film. It's 
not making it an awful film, but I have a hard time trying to take it seriously. Like, oh, I could get into this because, yeah, nothing has weight to it. We talked about with Groundhog Day. Oh, we just all went along with the conceit that it's just the same day over and over until you're good. But now this is Groundhog Day and it's a murder mystery and it's a slasher and she's slowly dying and you're just piling up a lot of stuff now that I got to buy into. What happened to that simpleness? Now it's just too much and I'm not having a great time. There's some fun moments but when they introduce this in there it just feels like okay this time we got to hurry and wrap it up by having these injuries carry over that never mean anything this doesn't work but i do like this is my favorite kill is the one she's at the hospital she's seeing her lover who's also her physician telling her you shouldn't even be alive this is where she realizes who's in that hospital john tombs the serial killer and thinks He's the one after her. Babyface kills the doctor. And Teresa gets out. She gets in Dr. Butler's car, drives away, which makes me wonder why she doesn't do this like first thing in the morning. It's like she wakes up in Carter's apartment, call an Uber, GTFO. <laughs> Get on a plane and go to Europe or something. In Groundhog Day, we were told snow cut off the roads. Here, we're just, I think, supposed to have a teenage mentality of you don't have a car, you can't get off the campus. I mean, I said I didn't see Groundhog Day because I was a college freshman without a car. But if I was repeating the same day over and over where I was being killed, I'd steal a car. I'd call a bus. I would do something to get away. I do like this kill a lot. You know, she drives away. The cop pulls her over. And she's like, yes, arrest me, arrest me. Because she'll go to jail, she'll spend the night there, she'll wake up alive the next day. But then Babyface comes and kills the cop. I love, like, that cop just gets ran over. And then Babyface walks up and, like, looks in the window and then walks away. And you realize the gas. And come on, guys, Babyface drops the cupcake that Lori made. Like, isn't that the dead giveaway? Just the candle. Just the candle from the cupcake. If it had been the whole cupcake, it would have been a total giveaway. I didn't catch it was the candle until later. But the director says, this is the moment where you should figure it out. Yeah, I saw the candle and I didn't realize at that moment, it took me you know, a few more beats to figure it out. Let me point out one big thing. We know Lori's the killer. Lori really doesn't have a motive. At no point do we see Lori's motive until after we already know she's the killer. Yeah, there is one line early on, I think it's Birthday Prime, where Lori's working at the hospital, Tree shows up, and I thought they were talking about, she thought Tree was going to get an abortion. She's like, you know, these things have consequences. Don't go through with it. What they're actually talking about, she's like, don't go fuck Gregory because he's my man. That's what it came down to. But I wrote a whole subtext in this film because it just, it's kind of simplistic. So my mind wandered. I'm like, oh, this is actually an anti-abortion film where Tree <laughs> had an abortion and the fetus is killing her over and over. There's so much. It's on a birthday. She's watching Teen Mom. Where there's a baby. Yes, there's a baby. I'm like, this is an anti-abortion film. There's that conversation earlier where she's like, I hope someone used a condom because we don't want to think someone's a whore yeah yes use protection i'm like this is a much better film if this is some crazy anti-abortion <laughs> film this is more creative than any of those god's not dead films i i would watch this in heartbeat baby face is kirk cameron yes i'm just telling you that's where i went because i'm like uh, none of this is really working for me how could this be better oh have it be her fetus haunting her and killing her repeatedly for getting an abortion 
Wow. That's like a college paper Arnie would have used to write. Yeah, I'm going to do a long blog post, a tweet storm. I think you need to do a 140-minute angry YouTube video. That's what's in now. <laughs> I'm doing it all, yes. <laughs> but yeah, she blows up in the car. That's when the movie does use its one F-bomb, you know, PG-13. You can say it once. She says it before the car blows up. I think it's a worthy spot. <laughs> I guess. I wasn't looking for how they're going to use their F word. It's no Wolverine in X-Men First Class, but it was good. And then the next day is the day she doesn't really worry about being murdered. She spends the day bonding with Carter and that love story. It works for me. I like these two as a couple. I think that Carter is better for her than any of the other guys we've met. He's the only nice guy we've met. He's the only one who's not a suspect. Yeah, I like Carter, too. I think he's a likable character. I think the actor does what he can with the part. I think of all the people in the movie, she has the most chemistry with this guy. At this point, anyway. They do very well together, and I do like that he's kind of a partner in crime trying to help her out a little bit. There's nothing really not to like about Carter. He seems almost too good to be true, which is why he might seem like a suspect to some, right? Yeah, and this is where... She decides, I guess, to fall in love with them because she's like, oh, we got to go after Tomb. So she goes by herself and there's a whole fight and he comes in, but he gets his neck snapped and dies. And that's where Tree decides, oh, I can't kill Tombs because that will mean Carter's dead forever. I got to kill myself and redo the day so he lives. And I like that choice. Yeah, no, I like this is one of the more interesting developments. I love the line, see you soon, asshole, and she hangs herself. Yeah. I liked everything about that. And the movie does some things right. This scene here is good. The car scene we talked about. I like the montage. So there's things that work. And this one particularly, I thought was a nice touch. This one is perhaps the favorite character moment for me because it shows she cares about someone other than herself. She could theoretically get out of today. She could escape the killer or shoot the killer, but she actually cares enough about Carter that she's going to kill herself, but she thinks she has the upper hand. She knows who the killer is, so she can kill herself and do even better the next day. And this is her perfect day. You know, Phil has the perfect day, which is his last one. Now Tree has found love. She's found the power of selflessness to hang herself. So she's going to go and make sure that the pledge on the quad falls on a pillow, tells Tim to get a fine piece of man ass. I love the way she reconciles with the Asian roommate is just waves at her and then they're all good. Like resolve that, solved racism with a hand wave. <laughs> all I could keep thinking of this time watching this is every time she waves at the Asian roommate, hi Wade, hi Yukio. <laughs> I mean, all of this, what I wrote down, especially when we get to that Kappa meeting where Becky shows up with the junk food and then Tree's going to show up and she's going to have junk food too. I'm like, this all just feels very, Disney would never do this, but it feels like a Disney special at this point to me. Like, very simplistic the way she goes about being good. I felt like with Phil Connors, there is depth to that and realizing always trying to save this homeless man and he has to come to terms that he can't save everybody. And I felt like there was an emotional journey here. This just all feels very plasticky and sheen and, and, and just shallow. Yeah, tying a bow around something. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But it was kind of fun. I kind of enjoy the scene when she brings the junk food. Sure, it's very easy, but I liked it. Yeah, it's fun to see her pour the chocolate milk over Danielle's head. And then she goes and we meet a brand new character. Who? What movie on day nine introduces us to a new character, <laughs> but we meet her dad? 
Well, we've heard the voicemails throughout the film. Right. He's been a presence, but not been actually there. So I figured her perfect day is going to have to involve her dad at some point because she's been avoiding him. And so we finally actually meet him. And it all comes down to saying, I love you. Again, it just feels very, oh, let's talk about dead mom. And okay, PG-13, 13's the right age, I'm guessing, for this film, for the audience. And she goes, confronts Tombs. I love that there's that action scene suit up moment. Like, you know, you Rambo tying the bandana and putting the knives in the sheaths. <laughs> I like that she gets a little scene like that. She synchronizes her watch, the biggest contrivance in this film. There's a thing about rolling brownouts. And so she knows the exact time. And she's had to play this scenario out a few times. Because why would this be your first plan to wait for the blackout to uh, disappear and then show up behind Tombs and kill him? Well, I think her first plan was to scare the cop into calling for backup as she just stand over Tombs, making sure he didn't get up, but he overpowered her. Yeah, I think the blackout thing was using the knowledge that she has to her advantage, and I thought that was somewhat clever because the brownout has no other purpose in this movie besides that. No, it's only for the scene. The fact that she synchronizes her swatch, I want to say swatch because Parker Lewis can't lose synchronized swatches, <laughs> but she synchronizes her watch... And it beeps, and she's like, gotcha, sucker, and the, the lights go out, she disappears. Now, this is the 10th cycle that we've seen, though she says during this 10th cycle, she's died 16 times. So obviously, there's been stuff we haven't seen, so maybe she did go through this a few times, and that's why she used the blackout to her advantage. She shoots and kills him, and I would figure that would result in a night in police custody of why did you put a knife at our officer's throat, exactly. and then why did you kill Tombs? I know he's a alleged serial killer, but that doesn't mean you can just walk in and shoot him. <laughs> and instead, it means she gets to go back to her dorm and have a cupcake with Carter. Did you think this was the end? I kind of thought this was the end. They play it well. The filmmakers convince me the film's winding down. Yeah, this is the Groundhog Day ending, but do you think this was a clever part on the writers that she says what her wish is. You're never supposed to say what you wish for. She says she wishes for tomorrow, and that doesn't come true. That's why you don't say what you wish for. At least that's the weird superstitious reason. Do you think that was the writers like coming up with a really clever idea or just happened by accident? That she says her wish, and so it doesn't come true. I think accident. Yeah, totally. There's some interesting things in this movie, but I don't think we should get... So I can't give him credit for even that. Sorry, buddy. You know what? Here's... If they're listening, they should have just done a commentary, then they could take credit for it and we'd <laughs> give them credit for it. But because they cheaped out and didn't do a commentary, if they meant it, we're not giving them credit. Hey, that just means more money for the bottom line. We don't have to pay anyone to come in and record anything. Don't have to master extra track. It's the Blumhouse way. If this movie only cost $5 million, can't you master one track? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that is the shock. Unlike Groundhog Day, where Phil has that perfect day and then he moves on to tomorrow and everything's tied up in a nice little bow. Here, that is a shock. She wakes up. All that nice stuff doesn't ultimately matter. She's not going to redo that because now she's just pissed off and she's going to find out very early on in the day, oh, it's the cupcake that killed me. Here's the funny thing is I thought... Maybe she was like Phil, like Phil Connors. He'd go to sleep. He'd wake up. It's the same day. And then he decided to try suicide and he'd wake up. It's the same day. Maybe she was in a time loop irrespective of if she died or not. I thought that would be a fun twist. But no, it is that she had died from cupcake poisoning. A quick aside. We talked about this with Groundhog Day. 
Does it bother you guys, or do you know why she's in a time loop, or does it bother you that we don't know? In this one, it does bother me. Like I said, there's just so much stuff stacked on top of each other that her wounds are carrying over, and that it's like the difference between Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Like, Tolkien created a fantasy world. There's a lot of characters, but, you know, dwarves, they live under the ground, and in Mordor, that's where the evil stuff lives, and then there's hobbits, and they're good, and then C.S. Lewis is like, everything can talk, and then we're gonna have kids from World War II go through a magic closet, and they're gonna meet Lion Jesus, and there's a witch, and there's Greek mythical creatures, and mythical creatures from everywhere and it's just it's too much simplify it tighten it up you know brock i have a theory all of a sudden yeah from what jacob said yes maybe the reason tree looks so much older than carter is because <laughs> she's lived the same day for 10 extra years and she actually ages through the days <laughs> that's a great theory if she wasn't old from the first scene but yes i agree <laughs> It's, oh, it's good. Oh, 30 is not old, but okay. I, I get what you're saying. I'm saying old for the character. Yes, I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying. But I will say that it didn't bother me that they did not explain it. Again, I went with the conceit of the movie. What did bother me, and it didn't bother me in Groundhog Day at all, but it bothered me here a lot, is that each of the first few days when she rushes through, everything still happens at the exact same point. Like, the guy still falls down. Yeah, the timing is off. So the timing gets off as she rushes through, and the movie doesn't allow for that little bit of difference in time at all, which really does upset me. Because there's no reason why it shouldn't, especially if they're showing us that she's rushing through. And so if they could just take a few seconds to have her delay things here and there, or delay the guy falling on the pillow, or so she could avoid running into Tim, that'd be more fun. According to Landon, there are clues and Easter eggs in here to tell us why she entered a time loop. And he said, wouldn't it be interesting if we made a sequel that explained that more? So... Okay, I have a theory, and it's not about a aborted fetus getting its revenge. This is my theory. I looked at the posters on Carter's wall. He's got a They Live poster. He's got a Repo Man poster. There's some other ones. I couldn't tell what they were, but I'm like, They Live and Repo Man... Both involve aliens. This is some weird dark city scenario. <laughs> wow. That is going to be my theory for happy death day to you. Aliens are doing some weird experiment because of those movie posters. Do you think we're going to find out in number two? No. I don't think so. The director teased it when one came out that if there was a sequel, it would explore it more. It would be interesting is all I'll say is to know why it happened and to see if they could come up with a plausible explanation in this world versus Groundhog Day. I'd be more willing to go with stuff like voodoo and whatnot in this movie. Yeah, it, this is a slasher. And then all of a sudden you're introducing the supernatural element. With a horror film, I feel like you have to have an explanation. A, a curse from a witch, something. It, it just fits the genre better. The ghost of the mom watching over her. Yeah. I think if they are going to explain it, it would happen in like the fifth or sixth one, like when it's really jumped the shark and this, this conceit has been done to death. I hope we're not doing five of these films. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I would think they would wait till at least three or four before they give away why. Because why else would you then watch it? Yeah, it, it's going to be the Twin Peaks thing. Hey, we got to say who the killer is. We're losing ratings. Yeah, get interest in the series again, or you've waited this long, all your answers will be revealed or whatever. That's all. I can't imagine they're going to tell us next time. 
Well, we'll find that out this weekend. But yes, now she realizes, hey, it was the cupcake that killed me. I'm going to go to the sorority house and confront Lori and find out Lori's mad that I was sleeping with her boyfriend who is already married anyway. So I don't know why they're not going after Stephanie, too. But okay, here's my thing. I don't know how she put it together with the cupcake because I sure as hell didn't. It seemed like a giant leap that she figured out that cupcake was poisoned. Did that bother you too? Because that bothered me. Honestly, I expected the film to be over. She woke up and they got an extra day. They've extended this one more verse than I wanted the song to go. Mm -hmm. I'm happy she's jumping to the conclusions. <laughs> yeah, solve that in the morning. Don't have to wait till tonight again. All right. Okay, Poison Cupcake. But then Lori was also, like we talked about, running around, getting tombs an outfit and a baby face mask to wear to set up her alibi. This is a lot of planning for a simple murder because a girl was a guy you're into. And I will reiterate what I said before. I really wish there was the unmasking moment. If you have a masked killer, I think you need to see the mask come off the killer and not just have them say, hey, yes, I'm the person who's been killing you. I need that moment. I need the reveal. And this does not satisfy me. I agree with you there. I'm not sure if I need the unmasking moment, but I agree with you. This reveal is not satisfying. And then the fact that she kills her and is not held responsible for the murder also kind of drives me nuts. At this point, I'm done giving the movie enough concessions. I am not hating what I'm watching, but I'm certainly not going to give it any more favors at this point. I'm just done. And I didn't like how this wrapped up. It's crazy. When it goes too far to me, I mean, I, I don't mind. Eat it, bitch. Shoves the cupcake in her mouth. Kicks her out the window. It's kind of goofy. The moment where it goes too far to me is when she's with Carter at the diner that night. And he's like, you know what this scenario reminds me of? Cut next scene. That's what you do, editor. You don't go for the 13-year-olds out there watching this because it's PG-13. Groundhog Day. You don't announce it. You just cut and go to the next scene. That's where I'm like, okay, this is for children who weren't alive in 1993. No, announce it. Own up to it. You just say we're paying homage because otherwise you call us a ripoff. No, I think that's a winking nod. Okay, we know what we're doing. The fact that they have to explain it tells me the audience that this is intended for has never seen that film. No, Jacob, I disagree. I think it's exactly like we're going to cover our own asses by calling it out. They should still be sued. Not good enough. <laughs> it's like insulting someone on the internet and putting an emoticon next to it as if you can get away with being mean. It's the same thing. They do it in movies and television shows all the time. They call themselves out so they, the audience understands, yes, we know, but here, just go along with it. The problem here, Jacob, is they're doing it in the very last scene. If they did this earlier when he was telling her about what you have to do is figure out your killer, hey, this reminds me of a movie named Groundhog Day, I think all of us might be a little more forgiving. The fact that it's the last bit, the last joke at the end of the movie, it's like, ha ha No, it's not funny. It's not a funny line. They played it at the wrong time in the movie. I agree with that. I think it's a bad ending. I also think it's bad that Tree is so out of it that she's like, I never heard of this. Who's this Bill Murray of which you speak? Yeah, they go too far with it, too. Yeah. Then they go to the next day, and they try to do the same joke that Groundhog Day, where the radio DJs accidentally play the same song, even though it's tomorrow, and Carter is going to pretend it's still her birthday and act the same way. Like, ooh, you, you got to give me something new. You can't, just because it's a horror version of Groundhog Day, you can't just do the same beats. And why are there no consequences to her being stabbed and killed a million times? That bugs me, too. That, that just goes away. It's brought up once, never brought up again. Even in deleted scenes and extended scenes I watched, it never comes up. I hope they make use of this in part two. 
I did see a new trailer for this just before recording this, and it does look like they're going to follow up on this injury thing. I don't think it's that big a deal, Jacob. I'm glad they're going to try to explore things, and because I don't understand how they're going to do a sequel to this. I have no idea. I have not a clue. Aliens. Okay, Aliens. It could be jumping through a wardrobe, Jacob. I don't know. I do know <laughs> that it's completely implausible that they're going to have a sequel to this movie. The only reason it is is because what Arnie mentioned, $100 million and a $5 million budget, they're going to figure out a way. I think I know what they're going to do, but I won't bring it up here. I, ha I have my own theories as to where this can go, and I think it could be fun. I hope you're right. I really hope you're right. I really hope it's fun. But meanwhile, Jacob, Arnie, do you recommend Happy Death Day? Jacob. Like I said, PG-13, that's probably the right audience for this. I, I, I'm watching this, and yeah, I like some of the kills. There's some kind of humorous tongue-in-cheek stuff, but as someone in their 40s, this isn't a movie made for me. This is, I think about my older daughter who is around this age, and what is she reading? She's reading supernatural young adult stuff, and I think she would really dig this kind of movie. She likes Groundhog Day. I made sure she saw that, and she has that knowledge of cinema, so I think she would like this supernatural take on it where there's a killer and a murder mystery and all that. For me, it's just kind of goofy and there's a lot of contrivances and plot holes. It's like a perfect movie for all those YouTube videos. What's wrong with this movie? I'm going to nitpick this thing for the next 45 minutes because there's so many plot holes like that. And uh, there is a little bit of fun there. I, I don't hate it. I don't want to see a sequel though, because the main mystery for me was, can you take Groundhog Day and put that into a slasher film and make something good? This version of that, it wasn't great. I don't have a lot of faith in a follow-up, but again, I don't hate it. There is a little bit of fun to have here for my demographic, not the movie. So it's going to be a week not recommend. Arnie. Happy Death Day? Yeah, it's pretty happy. It's not ecstatic death day, but it's, you know, a mildly <laughs> enjoyable death day. I think this is fun, but non-exceptional. As far as taking Groundhog Day and turning it into a bloodless slasher, it's good enough. Everything here to me is good enough. The lead actress is good enough and barely young enough. The humor is funny enough, and the movie is short enough. I mean, it's barely 90 minutes. I have a good time watching it. I watched it the first time. I walked away with a smile on my face, thinking of it more as a comedy than a horror film. Yeah, it left some dangling threads, but I went with it. Watching it this time... It does kind of fall apart at the end, but getting there is a good time, so I'll blow out the candle and give it a weakish recommend. And you're the fan, and you're giving it a weakish <laughs> recommend. I'm the fan of the three of us, I mean... <laughs> That's a fair comment. Though I don't feel like we're that far apart. I'm going to side more on Jacob's here. I'm going to give it a not recommend, but I'm going to agree with Arnie and Jacob in saying that there's a lot of things here that you can like. There are some fun kills. The conceit of Groundhog Day, they've proven that you could make a slasher movie with that conceit. I do agree that this is the right kind of plot for a PG-13 horror movie. I agree that the movie is short enough. It doesn't outstay its welcome, but I have to say the logic steps kind of did it in for me. We talked about this in the Groundhog Day review that I never questioned anything. Here, I 
couldn't stop questioning things pretty much throughout. I'd say like the first third of the movie, I was trying to go with it. But after that, I'm just like, what? And it's all started with when she wakes up in the dorm room and I didn't believe, I could not believe that she's, they're trying to make her believe that she's a sorority girl. So it just started off poorly in that sense. But the movie kind of engendered itself to me as it went. There is some fun to be had, but it's not a good movie. Like it's an adequate movie, but it's not a good movie. You could watch this movie on a Friday night and be like, yeah, okay. It's kind of like eating Chinese food, right? You're going to be hungry a couple hours later. It's the Chinese food of horror movies. But honestly, I don't see where they're going to go. I am desperately looking forward to finding out how they're going to bring this back for a sequel. And I really do hope that it's something clever and fun because there is something here. So if they can take what they've set up and find a way to improve it and make a good movie out of it, I can see the sequel being something fun. Like Final Destination, they had a lot of fun with it, right? I think they can have a lot of fun with this conceit if they figure it out, if the script is tighter. So we'll see where we are in the next episode in this retrospective. But for this one, not starting off on a good start, but not starting off on a terrible one, not recommend. Where I really feel this could have improved is the character evolution of Tree. I firmly believed Phil Connor's transformation from self-centered jerk to guy who wants to help people for the sake of helping people tree she becomes nicer and she starts standing up for becky and things but it's like her walking naked through the quad i see her doing it but i don't understand why and see this is where if they're saying oh this is like groundhog day meets scream justify the first girl who, who usually die who is the tough slutty bitch or whatever have her be the badass go no that perfect day screw that that's not what's going to keep you alive being the tough slutty bitch is what keeps you alive that would have been subversive that would have been tongue-in-cheek that would have been winking knowing you know the tropes of a slasher film and they just they don't go there it has a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing it does call out some tropes but screamed went out of its way to not only explain it to us, but then show it to us. This one, it's not as clever as Scream. Scream had much more going for it than this does. I think one of the comparisons is that they're both trying to be lighthearted. Scream was also funny. They are attempting to be clever and attempting to be humorous and attempting to be funny. Sure, where Scream succeeded in all those levels. Plus, give us some really fun kills and an unmasking moment, Arnie. So there you go. By the way, this did have an alternate ending. Yes, I watched it on my DVD, and it was something that was unsatisfying. So earlier in the, in the episode, I said I thought it was going to be the wife, and I'm like, and then I saw that ending, and I'm like, boy, I'm glad they didn't do that. Did you think that's a better ending, Arnie, or do you think the ending they, they ended up with is the way to go? I think the ending they ended up with is far too lame. <laughs> I think it's too sappy. I think it's too saccharine, and I don't believe it. I like it so much better that Tree was such a bitch she actually stops one person from killing her just to find out that her boyfriend's wife is waiting in the wings to kill her too. That's awesome. That's a wonderful hook for a sequel. Test audiences hated it. They wanted a happy, happy ending. Oh, I kind of like that. Yeah, I'd have loved it to be, yeah, you got rid of one killer, now you got another. So then the conceit for the sequels, Arnie, would be that she figures out who's killing her now, but there's still one more person who wants to kill her, kind of like the murder on the Orient Express, right? There's always a motive for someone else to kill her. I do think, though, by not having that scene, we'll be able to have another whodunit next time. We don't know who's behind the mask, whereas if they left that scene, it would be, oh, 
It's her teacher lover's wife behind the mask. Yeah, but you could have done something like, you know, Back to the Future, you know, they can always complain about putting the girl in the car, right? What they could have done here is like, you know, they could have arrested the wife in the first scene, right? She could have got killed by her, woken up, and then found a way to get her captured by the police. And then it starts happening again, so they can have another, they could figure that out. They could write that out. But I see your point very well, that it's not easy. They have to explain it away, but it's doable. Well, we'll find out what's doable this Friday. I'm going to New York City. This is becoming more and more of a habit for me as we do more and more weekend of release reviews. I go to New York City for reasons. This time it's New York Toy Fair for Marvelicious Toys and Star Wars Action News. And while in the Big Apple, I'll be celebrating Happy Death Day to you. So yes, I'm actually taking time out of a trip to go see the sequel to this. That's how committed you are to now playing, Arnie, and we all appreciate that. But this coming Friday, patrons get to hear your guys' review of Body Heat. Looking forward to that one. Yes, directed and written by Lawrence Kasdan, who, you know, I really like him as writer of Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Big Chill. He may be a bit more well-known for writing Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And I like Silverado. Yes, Silverado, The Bodyguard, Grand Canyon, Force Awakens, Solo, A Star Wars Story, a lot of films to this guy's credit. But thanks to one of our patrons, we're heading back to 1981, one of his very first films, his first as a director to have a steamy Valentine's Day. The tagline is, she taught him everything she knew about passion and murder. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing that review. I believe it's Kathleen Turner and, and William Hurt, right? And that was one of those movies that was always on cable that I wasn't supposed to watch. Yeah, it's also got Ted Danson and Mickey Rourke. Oh, that was before Diner, too. That's interesting. So it's an early role for Mickey Rourke. Excellent. It's definitely something to check out. So if you want to hear this and over 20 more exclusive bonus reviews, head to nowplayingpatron.com and check out our patron campaign. We're really, really excited. We hit a milestone. As long as we stay over that number, we're going to have a really new kick-ass website, hopefully up this year. We're already talking to web design people. So thank you to all of our patrons. We just appreciate you so much. We also appreciate all our listeners, especially those who leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. If you haven't done that already, please understand that when you leave a five-star review for us on iTunes, it helps us get exposure. It helps us find new fans. It also helps us hear back from you fans of what you do like about our show. You can also give us feedback on Facebook, Twitter, and the social media places of your choice, as well as our forums. And if you've already left us a five-star review, thank you. You can also help us out by going through and looking at the reviews, and if you agree with them if they're you know hopefully nice about our show and it says was this review helpful clicking yes on those really also helps our show gain some visibility and clicking no on some of those people who were mad about aquaman uh, <laughs> does help as well well guys are looking forward to our next conversation as retrospective and until that happens enjoy today because there's no tomorrow what the hell do you think you're doing i'm ending this Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. Well, damn. Good job. Had a little practice. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Oh, God. I'm so bad. If you enjoyed this show, please tell others. 
You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Carter, please, will help. Carter? Want to hear more reviews like this one? You can find hundreds of other movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. In our archive section are over 800 reviews. Listen to our hosts discuss horror, sci-fi, comedy, action, drama, and more. Plus, you can hear reviews of every movie based on Marvel or DC Comics. Call me as soon as you're done with your creepy little Comic-Con meeting. A new, totally free movie review podcast is posted every Tuesday. So come back each week for another new show. Okay, you guys are hilarious. Now Playing relies on listener support to keep operating. Now maybe I'm like that cat with nine lives. Eventually I'm gonna run out. You can support Now Playing by joining our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. Backers can get early access to reviews, unedited reviews, exclusive shows not available anywhere else, and more. Details are at nowplayingpatron.com. Who's gonna pledge Kappa now that we have a death curse? We're in crisis mode, tree. At our Podbean site, you can also support the show by listening to any of our donation shows. Series like Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Phantasm, Jaws, and others are available for a small, one-time contribution. Thanks, Danielle. Super helpful. What are sisters for? You can also donate to us directly on PayPal. Details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Only one way to find out. Want 375 more Now Playing reviews? Get the Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Arnie, Stewart, Jacob, and Marjorie reviewed 125 different movies, each getting three recommends or not recommends. Look, I know it's really random, but I promise I'll explain everything tomorrow. Assuming there is one. You can also follow Now Playing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There, the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests, where you can win movies and soundtracks. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube for original video content. Why are you following me? I want to hear your story. Look. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Oh, hey. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you, you know, wanted to sleep in or not. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Thank you so much for helping me out. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. No, it's funny. You relive the same day over and over again. Now playing credits read by Brock. I need you to listen to me. He's going to escape. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. It's none of my business, but I think something like this is bound to have some pretty serious consequences. You're right. It is none of your business. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. Not a word of this to anyone. Got it. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. If I am, does that mean that you're going to arrest me and lock me in a jail cell? That's how it usually works. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Catch me now, bitch! (laughs) Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019. 
and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Bye. Bye. The Little House on the Prairie guy? Yeah. Highway, Highway to, heaven. to Heaven. Yeah, okay. And other shows before that that none of us ever pretended to watch. I watched Bonanza. You did not? Really? I did. Oh, well, go figure. When I was a kid, it was in syndication. Because your dad was watching it and you couldn't turn the channel? My father's <laughs> from Brazil. Do you think he watched Bonanza? He hated Westerns. I don't know. Old people watch <laughs> Bonanza. Yeah. He couldn't find the clicker. Jacob, yes. back then, the clicker. Oh, no, my dad still calls it that. <laughs> and we make fun of him every time. He's like, where's the clicker? You need to just get Amazon Alexa in his house so there's no clicker. He has to use his voice. He does have that. I don't think he understands it. <laughs> I mean, Gem and the Holograms was horrifying, but it's not a horror film. That's a Blumhouse film? Yeah. Wow. No kidding. I didn't know that. That's still on my list of bad films to see someday. <laughs> That's our next book. Bad films to see someday. <laughs> Here are movies we're avoiding. That's the book. Here's movies I, I plan on seeing. I haven't seen them, but it's, it's just a list. The whole book is a list. Maybe it's a, pamph it's a pamphlet more than a book. They also released Benji. Benji? Is there a new one or is Blumhouse yes. really old? It was released in 2018. <laughs> what? Yes. My seven-year-old son and I sat down with my wife one night to watch Benji. And about halfway through, we had to turn it off. It is not a kid's movie. It's not It's not an adult movie. <laughs> is it a horror film? Is Benji killing people? Is it like a dog's purpose where the dog's purpose is to die repeatedly? It's not like Marley and Me and all that kind of stuff. It's like terrible. Like they kidnap the dogs and the kids and like it, it just makes you feel really uncomfortable. It's like when you watch the original Beethoven movie and the plot of the villain is to take that giant <laughs> nope, gun. Nope, haven't done that. <laughs> yeah, it takes a giant gun to shoot the, the, the bullet so you want to see if the bullet can go through the giant skull of Beethoven. That's the villain's <laughs> purpose in this movie. That sounds amazing. And that's a kid's movie. And they market it as a kid's movie. I do like inappropriate subject matter like that in kids' films. I might have to watch that. It has dogs in it. We turn it on for the kids. It's like, you know, not all animated movies are for kids. Not all movies with dogs are for kids. Lesson learned. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. Well, before we get too much farther into it, why don't we do a plot summary so we can get really into it. Arnie. You want to give that one more go? <laughs> <laughs> I was, after I said it, I'm like, I'm going to see if it lets this one slide. Let's see if it lets it slide. All right. Friday, of course, we have a patron review coming out. The review of the Coen Brothers Body Heat. I don't think it's the Coen, Coen Brothers. Brothers. <laughs> Not Coen Brothers. <laughs> Sorry. Whoops. <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of the other one. What's that? Oh I, shit! What's the Coen Brothers' first movie? Blood Simple. Blood Simple. That's what I was thinking of. Shit. Yeah, this is Lawrence Kasdan. I'm like, if this was a Coen Brothers movie, I would have seen it already. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. I I got it mixed up. All right, fair enough. So let me. Get, how about another transition then? Um, <laughs> whoops.